Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner, in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the madman himself, Jim Cramer, has two blockbuster interviews with the CEOs of Salesforce and Under Armour. He'll be here to tell us what they said. Plus, Brian Kelly heading into deep space to uncover the mysteries of the crypto universe. And when he's done, you'll never think about crypto the same way again. But first, just when you thought it was safe to get back into the market, the Dow suddenly tanking nearly 400 points, closing on the dead lows of the day. The Dow suffering its worst February since 2009, snapping a 10-month win streak. The S&P snapping a 15-month winning streak. So is this type of market volatility here to stay now? And is this market still a buy-the-dip market. Great to have oh, you here, Scott. Good riddance February, Great to have but you. nice to see well, you. you. were just saying in the green room, month of February, there have been 15 triple-digit moves in the Dow. 15 of 19 trading days, there have been triple-digit moves for the Dow. Two quadruple-digit, uh, quadruple-digit. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> That'll come back to haunt me sometime. <laughs> anyway, you get my Crazy. point. So the last time you are here was the Friday Thanks for teeing that up for me. The Friday before we went really on our well. sabbatical. And that was the day that the S&P traded down to 2531. 200-day moving average. We talked about it on the desk. Tradable bottom. The market should rally from here. And I said it two nights ago. I never thought we'd get to where we are now. But I happen to think, and Tim alluded to this Monday, the headwinds are now there in the form of the Fed and the forms of many things. I happen to think it's a sell-the-rally market. Now, look, again, I didn't see us getting as high as we did over the last week and a half or so. But you go back to last Thursday where you had that huge reversal on Fed Day. You look at what happened yesterday, and you look at some of the interday moves today, and it leads you to believe that the VIX is probably Probably too low, and I think the market does retest the lows that Tony Dwyer talked about. All right, Karen, so last seven days in the market, Dow down 382, 299, plus 399, plus 347, plus 164, down 167, down 254. Volatility, mm -hmm. this is the way it's going to go? I don't think so, actually. I mean, you know, whenever you have a lot of volatility, you have a lot of volatility right around that time. And I think it's actually going to die down. I think, though, with the last few days that you talked about, how big those moves are, I'm surprised the VIX isn't higher. <clears throat> but I think, I think it's going to die down again. So That I'm means not, you can buy the dip then? I, I mean, I think the dip has to be a little more than here. There were, I didn't, there's a couple. I bought one thing today, Golar MLP, traded off, I thought, way beyond what wasn't a bad quarter. It was fine. Uh, and, you know, I, I would, I'm going to be looking at lows. We'll probably get to it later, but I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm certainly not a seller. Are we, are we, are we going to retest? Well, are we talking about that well, again Well, first now? of all, 2660 is the 200. That's a test that you maybe have to look for. 2680, maybe we get there. Uh, we broke the 50 today, so if you look at levels on the market, those are certainly ones. Emerging broke the 50. It's challenging now the 100. China's really at the 100. Uh, Russell is, is certainly through the 50, challenging the 100. So if you want to look at the higher growth markets, the higher risk markets, they, they look like they want to retest. Uh, one of the interesting things that I saw out there today is that Powell actually said, you know, the, the, the VIX ETFs are not what's causing the market volatility. And, I, I, you know, that to me is consistent with my view, although we've had some very smart people on the show that have pointed out that was really kind of 
a, a dynamic that really pushed markets on the air. The dynamic, folks, is that volatility is coming from more central bank. And what we heard from Powell yesterday is he doesn't know what fiscal policy means to inflation. He also said the data, and in my opinion, the data that I'm seeing could be inflationary. He's maybe separating himself from other members of the Fed. So look, while vol stays north of 15, and while we have a 10-year that's around 3%, equities are a very different investment than they were 50 bips ago and 50% ago on the VIX. And I think we live with that. Powell, by the way, he speaks tomorrow. We're going to do this all over again. Some right. people hope he dials back. Maybe maybe, maybe he, he was just honest. Maybe he said, look, inflation's coming. Right. Inflation's here. Maybe it gets a little and bit until stronger. Market, Wages are going to go up. The market is repricing in the risk that margins are going to compress. So we're talking about inflation coming. He talked about potential fiscal stimulus that we're going to get a hotter economy. That's all fine and dandy. You want to get 4 and 5% GDP growth? That's great. As long as companies can raise prices commensurate with their cost Maybe the increases. only 4 to 5 that we should be talking about are 4 to 5 rate hikes. Well, that's, that's why the I think that is, is the policy the mistake the that days. the market's worried about, that either the economy isn't as strong as he thinks and they are overreacting with four rate hikes, or the economy is going to really heat up and all of a sudden you've got margin compression. So two out of three options, the third option is we stay the same. I don't think we stay the same. So if I look at probabilities, I say two out of three options for this market are likely lower prices as the market reprices this new risk. It's interesting. See, I, I don't think... Personally, I think the policy mistake would be not hiking four times this year, given everything that Mr. Powell's talked about and everything that we've talked about on this desk. So I hear what BK is saying. I think there's this tremendous stagflation going on. I think the Fed is up against it. Stagflation? Yeah. What's stagging? Listen, you see inflation in the wrong place. You see it in health care. You see it in education. You're not seeing it in wage growth until a week or so ago. That's fair. doesn't line up particularly well. So I happen to think they're up against it in a major way. But if they do hike four times this year, it shouldn't be anything to do with the market. They shouldn't even be talking about the market. That shouldn't be in their purview, in my opinion. And, and Scott, you know, I, I don't think this was a Hope Hicks sell-off as we, you know, we kind of... A lot of news after Who's the Who's suggesting that it is? I, I, so there was voices in yeah, my head. I heard um, but, the same but, voices. No, but here's <laughs> what I will say. Uh, and you definitely, Scott, for the record, was not. Okay. Um, but I, I do think there was a lot of crazy politics that were hitting headlines today. That includes Kirshner getting downgraded, the, the Sessions tweet this morning, and maybe his insecurity in his job post now, um, Deutsche Bank's being investigated for Kirshner family loans. These are facts, by the way. This isn't a political statement. I'm saying a market that doesn't want uncertainty. Remember when the first signs of volatility were getting this market three months ago is when we had this kind of stuff. You can't tell me layering that on top of a market that's uncertain. And, you know, I look at price to sales. I look at price to book. This market's not cheap. Yeah. All right. Well, at the end of January, our next guest correctly called the return of volatility on this very show. Take a listen. Volatility is coming back. We'll have more spikes in volatility, but we're not going to go to this elevated period. It's just going to normalize. Well, we know how February turned out with the Dow falling 4% since then. So how much more turmoil is there ahead? Let's ask the man himself. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy, Wells Fargo Securities, joins us once again. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, so you're used to seeing this. Is this going to continue? It, it will continue. Uh, what we expect this year is a lot more choppiness. We expect more spikes in volatility. We expect the average to be higher. But this to us is pretty normal. You would expect the volatility spike and to see the decay. But as Karen said before, you would expect it just to decay right away. You expect volatility to get some volatility. Do you think we're going to go back to the, the lows as part of that volatility? No, I, I don't think we're going to retest the lows. I think what we saw was a lot of fear. We saw a lot of panic. The phrase with the flip phrase that we use is you saw that cathartic puke. And a lot of the weak hands got washed out. 
we don't have the systematic risk that we had 10 years ago. What we have is just a repricing of risk. And so I, I would be very surprised to see us retest those alone. Yes. But, but, well, but Chris, so well, good. Yeah. I, I agree with almost everything you just said. Um, except, except for almost. the fact. Thankfully, put almost I don't there. think you should cut <laughs> weak hands because weak hands to me are the ones that, that ultimately can't really deal when the fire gets very hot. Right. Everybody was saying on the sell-off, it's, we needed it. It's right. a breath of fresh air. Um, this is the pause that refreshes. You right. name the cliche. It was said. Right. It was perfect. It was 10%. Yep. We're back. We bounced right off the 200. Here we go. I don't think that that's supposed to be that easy. Well, I don't think it was that easy for a lot of people. When, when I talked sure. to our Deriv traders, they were waving me off. We had the busiest days on our Deriv desk in, in probably 12 months. And so people were busy. People were repositioning. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of fear. And one of the things that I, I want to point out, one of the things that clients tell, tell me post Lehman, what I keep hearing is, what am I missing? What am I missing? And so what you see is kind of a gapping process as people freeze. They don't say, you know what, I know the fundamentals. I know the situation. I'm going to take advantage of this. Mm -hmm. What they do is they, they have paralysis through analysis, and they're always asking, what am I missing? And that's a problem, and that's something that we continually see. So you mentioned that we don't have any of the, the systemic risk that we had 10 right. years ago. Let me push back on that, though. Yep. We, have, we have more debt than we've ever had. We're right. at debt-to-GDP uh, levels that right. are uh, record highs. Yep. Nine trillion of that debt is U.S. dollar-denominated debt. Right. Now I've got rising rates, yep. and I've got a rising U.S. dollar. Right. That, to me, is the big systemic risk going on out there and that's what people are missing so with debt what you worry about is earnings and growth starting to slow down but earnings and growth are starting to pick up so when earnings and growth slow down leverage starts to expand in addition to that what we're not seeing on the spread side on the IG side on the high yield side spreads aren't widening out what they're saying is things are still it's good fundamental debt it's government debt government debt so and again let's get back to rates rising so the 10 year went from 204 to 290 290 and change that's not a big move in the big scheme of things. We're still below 3%. Funding is still relatively cheap on a historic basis. So people aren't being priced out of the marketplace. And if you look at balance sheets on the bank side, liquidity is readily available. You, what I worry about is liquidity starting to dry your, up. Your headline, though, is that, okay, we're in a new, more volatile environment for a number of different factors and right. forces, um, but we're not going back to the lows. No, we're not going back to the lows. Don't expect the VIX at 10. Expect volatility as we go forward. What you need to do is you need to focus on the fundamentals and you have to sharpen up your pencil and understand these are the stocks I want to own. These are the sectors I want to be in. And when the opportunity presents itself, you have to step to that and vice versa. Yeah. Let me ask you, I mean, why does every pullback of any kind of magnitude have to be accompanied by systemic risk? It doesn't have systemic to be. Risk. It doesn't have to be, but you have elements that could make it a systemic risk, right? So again, these are things that are out there. We have more debt than we've ever had. We have rising interest rates. Well, I mean, and a rising there's a lot of things that could happen. I'm not saying it's a systemic risk for the moon. And this is corporate debt, debt where we don't have a lot of corporate debt. Right. And well, we have debt. we have nine trillion dollars of U.S. dollar U.S. dollar denominated debt globally. That's offshore. Right. So as the dollar rises and rates rises, that debt gets harder to service. I am not saying this happening today, but I'm saying when those two elements happen, that's what you need to be concerned about. And my view is that's what the market's concerned about. Here. Because because all you know what I'm saying. No, I, mean, I do know what you're saying, but but what Brian I think is rightly pointing out is we're embarking upon a period where the Fed has to unwind the greatest financial experiment of all time. And actually, I think the ECB is the biggest sinner. Here right now. I think rates in Europe are so grotesquely um, manipulated that the minute they start to show any sign of tightening, it's going to push our rates up here. So I, I, I do think there are systemic risks out here. I, you know, I've been mostly 
striking a cautious tone in the early part of this, this, this show. I, I think earnings outlook for the second half of the year is going to be fantastic. I think the macro story is only getting stronger. It's not going to reverse on a dime because of one Fed hike. But I do think these are the things that get back to the psychology that Chris is talking about. And the one thing that I would add to that is I would much rather be talking about systemic risks at market highs than after everything's fallen apart. And then we go, oh, look at what happened there. There was a lot of debt and there was a higher dollar. So we're at market highs again. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, understand there are risks out there. Get the last word. It's about liquidity. And that's the biggest risk. What we saw in the sell-off is a lack of liquidity. And that's the thing I hear from our rates players, that's the th thing I hear from our equity players, and that's the thing I hear from our FX players. It's about liquidity, and liquidity is something that worries me as we look forward. All right. Chris, it's good having you here. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Um, you said you bought a stock today. Tell us what it was again. Well, this is on earnings, Golar MLP, which uh, is in the LNG shipping space. You know, people were a little disappointed with the earnings. I thought it was fine. The story is not fundamentally different. It was down maybe 6%. I'm happy to own it here. Could it go lower? Absolutely, but that's fine. Okay. Guy? It's interesting. I thought Micron traded well today. Some of the chip names have been okay, but I'll say this, you know, this is well. I don't think this short vol play that's been going on for the last five or six years was rectified in the last two and a half, three weeks. I still think that's sort of hanging out there. I think you saw glimmers of it today, yesterday, last Thursday, and I do think vol's here to stay for the foreseeable future. So I push back a little and say I think vol's too cheap here. Okay. I'm in a profit-taking mode. You know, yesterday I took off some, some oil energy exposure. I think at these levels with what's going on, you at least protect yourself at the very least, right? The VIX is high relative to where it's been, but you can still buy some puts here and protect yourself at market highs. Just something to look at. The financials have traded so well today, and yet a lot of these names look like they're kind of a short-term double top. So um, the place that's been the greatest area of strength, um, I think, is either the place that I wouldn't touch that right now. Then the most defensive names like an Apple uh, or even an Amazon here, they've had such a good run into this difficult market period. This is where I, I, I don't want to be buying those tomorrow. All right, coming up, Under Armour having its best month since 2012. And the CEO and founder, Kevin Plank, just spoke to Jim Cramer moments ago. Does Jim believe in the turnaround plan for the stock. He'll join us next. Plus, while the market sinks, tech is hanging tough and bouncing hard from its February lows. And one top technician says a trillion-dollar trifecta is ahead. He'll tell us the three tech stocks he thinks are heading to the moon. You're watching Fast Money from Times Square in New York City. Much more is ahead after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Billionaire investor Bill Ackman revealing exclusively to me earlier today that his hedge fund has been building a stake in United Technologies. That sent the stock rallying as high as 2%. So what do we think about this guy? Well, I think he's late to the dance. I mean, United Technologies is currently trading at 17 and a half, 18 times foreign earnings. Reasonable valuation probably grows at 13 or so percent. But I mean... I don't know how much juice is left in UTX, uh, given the run that it's had. I mean, is it going to go higher? Probably going to grind higher. But I don't see UTX going 25 or 30 percent higher from here, which is really the stocks you want to be in, I think, if you're a hedge fund manager of that magnitude. Well, the, That's the, just my opinion. Well, the, the real question, I mean, is he going to be an activist in it? Is yeah. he for a what passive? reason? And how what, active what are they can he be? Well, the how no, but the company's can... already talking right. itself so about it doing something strategic. So it makes it an interesting target because... You can, the company's already doing it. If they end up doing something, then you can say, uh, you know, great, they listened to our plan. And um, maybe he has know. a little bit of influence, uh, who knows, or, or, or maybe, on what, the, what they end up doing. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. 
<laughs> but but in UTX, it's a very different story than in Herbalife. It's a very different. I don't mean sector, and for the I mean, but I mean it's it's a it's a conglomerate that is a very healthy company that's in a sweet spot right now of its cycle. Uh, there's no question about the legitimacy of their business. You know, Valiant Herbalife. I mean, these are stories that I think. So this is a case where you can be an ally to management, and yet you can take a slightly different tact than you were taking in these last two. So good for him. Agree, though. I, I think these defense stocks are expensive. I think, yeah, but, I I think mean, they're all expensive. You know, with, with all due respect to Mr. Ackman, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I want to follow him into anything at this point in time. Like, I mean, even just look at the way that it traded today, right? We got that pop, but it really didn't have any follow through. So I'm not sure that this is a buy signal in this stock by any means. Well, I think it's a wait and see on, on what actually happens. It's a sell signal if you follow him from uh, VRX. Would you rather, uh, um, it's a Melissa game, so <laughs> right. would you rather buy UTX when UTX themselves announced that they are doing a very deep dive and looking into whether they should separate their businesses, or would you rather buy it on Ackman has taken a small stake and is looking to do something? Uh, I think you would buy it because the company has already said it's doing a strategic, uh, right. you know, so exam. I don't. So I don't think this should get. Mu I don't think it should get much traction. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'd rather him say, you know, look at General Electric over the last six to nine months. Here I am. I'm the guy to help you. I'm going to take an activist stake in G and, and flip a coin and see what happens. I think there's more upside there, quite frankly, than there is in Utex. And Utex is by far a better company. But I think in terms of beta, if you're looking for it, I think it's more in G than there is in UTX. Yeah. I mean, he did recently announce the passive stake in Nike. The, the real question is, you're, if, you're, if you're taking new positions, longs, at a time where volatility is coming back, who knows if there's going to be a larger pullback in the cards over the next, you know, however many weeks or months, when you're no longer short anything, right? Herbalife well, we things close. We're going to tell you about that in a moment. I guess this is, this is, you know, Bill Ackman has the unfortunate kind of reality of being someone who's made some very high-profile moves. Some of them have worked, and a lot of them haven't. So he probably is short a lot of stuff. And this is not the only stuff he's going long. I mean, he's got a big portfolio, and I just think these are things we well, he doesn't tend to really focus have on. a big portfolio. He runs a concentrated book. Oh, okay, but, we but we're talking about one position. Yeah. I agree with that. But we're talking about one or two positions out of, what, 15, 20? Uh, you know, we so. wouldn't see his shorts, but it's not his, his M.O., at least, is um, <laughs> if he's short something below the to radar, tell you, you what the short okay. is. Now, I, I have well, absolutely, I have absolutely <laughs> no insight um, into whether he's short um, anything else. I can tell you, though, he's no longer short Herbalife. Um, he confirmed to me earlier that he's, he's out of Herbalife. He had a put position, but he's completely unwound that. Uh, it's a de minimis position, if anything, um, at this point. Uh, that company announcing a, a stock split, a uh, share repurchase. They changed their name as well. But it certainly ends uh, what is really a six-year, five-and-a-half-year a saga that we've all followed for that for that period of time. What did he say? We, you know, obviously the language a lot, but I'm going to take this to the grave until in 2013, and I'm going to fight this stuff until it goes to zero. Five, six years later, here we are. Now, wouldn't it be great if Carl came on your show tomorrow, Carl Icahn, I shouldn't speak in first names, and said, you know what, Scott, Herbalife's had a great run. I'm thinking about taking my position off. And you know what? Now looking at it, maybe Mr. Ackman was right all short. those years. Yeah. It's a short here. I'm tendering everything that into that Dutch. That would be great. Yeah. That one. I wouldn't surprise me one bit. The whole reason why 
uh, they're in this, and it's not just Icon, it's everybody, it's because they wanted the short squeeze. Short's gone, what's the reason to be in it? Yeah. Well, we, I should tell you, uh, I, maybe well, wait some a second, of you hold know. on a second. Yeah. Can I say, just say something real quick? Yeah. Somebody really, I mean, if you think about it, what is this, five or six years? Yeah. Somebody, if somebody was smart out there, oh, I here know. We go. somebody <laughs> should write a book about something like that. Wouldn't it be oh, great? That's a great, great idea. idea. Oh, look at that. <laughs> there it is, coming out in April. It's coming out in April. Oh, you got that out quick, right after when you said Yeah, right, two billionaires, one company, Wall Street's uh, most epic battle. Uh, really gives you a look uh, behind the scenes at all the stuff that happened over this five-year stretch and what clearly is, I, I don't think we're going to see a, anything like this. And a wild a interview that you were in the middle of, which was a, a, a memorable day. So uh, for the congrats. network, for sure. Uh, we'll see. But anyway, uh, it's available now. Pre-order wherever books are sold. Coming up. Under Armour having its best month since 2012. The CEO, Kevin Plank, just spoke to Jim Cramer moments ago. Does Jim believe in his turnaround plan for the stock? He's going to join us next. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. As the world grapples with unprecedented volatility, one group of stocks is holding up just fine. And here's a hint. We'll give you the tech names that one technician is calling must-buys. Plus, Brian Kelly is going to do something no crypto baller has ever done before. And it might change the way you look at Bitcoin forever. And he'll do that when Fast Money returns. Europe is huge for us, and you can see that in some of these spectacular customers that we're signing in Europe. Of course, you know the Adidas story. Right. If you've been to adidas.com and bought your Yeezy 350s, you know <laughs> that it's all Salesforce. You're, if you're on adidas.com, it's Salesforce. If you get an email from Adidas, it's Salesforce. If you go into an Adidas store and talk to a sales rep in person, that's Salesforce. And we're building a single view of the customer for Adidas. Well, that was the CEO of Salesforce speaking to our own Jim Cramer moments ago about the company's quarter. The stock right now is a bit volatile after hours. It is slightly higher. And we do have, uh, oh, let, okay, let's trade that. Let's trade that first. Well, people have been shooting against we'll Salesforce.com on valuation probably for yeah. the last 40 or $50. Dollars. And you really, it's a, it's a big mistake because you talk about a company that really, you talk about companies that have moats well. I happen to think that Salesforce is one of them. Are a lot of people coming after them? I'm sure Oracle would like a piece of them. Everybody's trying to take shots. But you know what? They have such a head start that to try to sell the stock on valuation is a fool's errand. The growth is there. I think the stock, stock made an all-time high today, by the way. I think it goes higher from here. Uh, we do have Jim Cramer uh, with us right now, just finishing up that interview along with the interview with uh, Kevin Plank. Jimmy, you there? Bingo. Guy is totally right. This was the best. I do love that. I love that alert. It's test pattern writ large. I am not a wolf, but I'm biting here. Let me just say this. I think that this was the best quarter I've seen in five years. Some would argue the best ever. It's a $12 billion company that is growing in some measurements like you would expect it from a $500 million growth company. This was the real deal, and I know the tape is down. I know the ugliness. Salesforce breakout quarter guy. You're right. Wow. I mean, well, so, Jimmy, um, it's Scott. The stock is moving up um, as you're as you're saying what you are. But why do you think that the stock was was down or or barely a higher uh, given you said it could be the best quarter ever? Well, I think that after the close, there's a lot of belief that maybe there's a lot of funky stuff happening. I think people feel that there is a, uh, a not an understanding. Frankly, I don't want to be too uh, I don't want to my own horn so much, but I, I've been following this company now for more than a decade and I parse every single line. And this was just sharply better than expected. There was no one looking at this. I had every single metric of every single firm in front of me when I interviewed Mark. And this just this 
They, these numbers that he announced were just so far above even the high person that I don't understand why anyone would want to sell it instantly. But remember, people are very nervous here tonight. They were nervous in the last hour, and everyone's throwing out everything. And you know that's rarely a good idea. Yeah, well, your analysis just now, Jimmy, has given the, the gain a double uh, from where it was before we, we brought you, you on. Anybody have a question for Jimmy hey, on Salesforce? Jim, I do. It's Tim. Look, uh, Tim, clearly, Tim, my man. Well, I saw you at 5 a.m. I mean, what the? I mean, if you're going to keep my hours, <laughs> let's just step up to the plate, play with Chris Rock, play okay. with David Blaine like okay. we did last night, and you know, like, come on, Boom. let's close this joint. You know what? I'll see you at the midnight hour. Where are we meeting? I'll be there, and we'll do it all again tomorrow. Again. Thank you for that. So, look, um, I realize valuation hasn't mattered. When does it matter? Because, you know, if I look on the screens, it's, you know, 12000 or something to, per share. Well, look, uh, when, I agree, when, but it, it, perfect legitimate question. I mean, it, look, a, a great growth company actually has a lot of cash, and the cash on the balance sheet at Salesforce is humongous. It's just that you have to understand it's ratably because it's cloud. But the cash, the operating cash flow is unbelievable. How much they harvest is amazing. Anybody who is in uh, a pure growth mode knows that this company is in hyperspace versus everybody else in the $12 billion range. But remember, the balance sheet is actually a thing of beauty. So mm -hmm. it is not some outfit that's flying blind. It is flying strong. Yeah, Jimmy, stick with us for a minute because you also spoke with the CEO of Under Armour, Kevin Plank. Let's take a listen to what Plank told Jim. What we want to do is make sure that we have a very clear understanding of what we want to do. With my team is the first and most important thing. I want my team to feel that we have the balance of our plan, the strategy that we put in place, the three things that we really attacked for ourselves as a company in 2017. Let them take root. Let us become excellent. Let us become that really loud brand and that quiet company that just knows how to run, implement the go-to-market, and you'll watch, and I think, a, a very successful company. But it just takes time. All right, so the stocks had a nice run, uh, Jim. Uh, as you hold up the football. Yeah, you know what that says? It says protect this house. That's from the San Francisco Bay Area football yep. game. That is from February 7, 2016. And yes, yes, Kevin Plank, I think, stopped, cover, stopped protecting the house. But the Kevin Plank I saw tonight, he's back. And I think he's got a lot to say and a lot to do. And a lot of people are going to write this guy off. That has been a mistake. I think he's on the comeback. I like the stock. There are a lot of people still have sells on it. They didn't look him in the eye like I did. And I don't know what they're thinking. But they're betting against a guy who is made for comeback. Made for it. Yeah. I mean, you had a, a few things at work, um, Jim, right? You had um, the business... Um, not performing from the, you know, the, you had all of these incredible quarters in a row of, of double-digit growth, right? And then the story started to slip a little bit. A couple quarters in a row were bad. The stock got hammered. And then came Plank's comments about Trump, which really caused a whole heck of a lot of controversy. And here we are today. And this brings us to the interview that you do um, this evening is why it's so important to check it out, because we haven't heard much publicly from Kevin Plank since all that went down. Like nothing, and I've got to taste. Uh, stuck a finger in the eye of Nike. Nike came back with personalization. You happen to have a, played an interview with uh, Mark Benioff that Adidas came back. So you're dealing with a couple of just huge guys that just didn't like Kevin and what he's doing. I think that there's peaceful coexistence among the three, but Under Armour grew too fast. Some people thought it was a high-quality problem. It turned out to be just a problem. Kevin's put together infrastructure. Kevin is not a guy who's just going to 
sit back and say, you know what, my best days are over. I think Under Armour, and I know the market is lousy, but Under Armour's, uh, their balance sheet's getting better. The inventories are good. International's real good. And this stock's down from 50. And I think he's going to protect the house. You think it's bottomed, like it's, you know, the, the, the bleeding's over? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I should equivocate. Like, people come on. I said, well, Jim, you know, on Jim, the one hand, Jim, Scott, don't equivocate. On the other hand, Herbalife, I don't know. I got know, one for you, Jim. Years. First of all, Eric Abago was the original Protect This House guy. I know you know that. Jim Kramer, great announcement. Bucknell University, you are going to be the commencement speaker. Have you started writing your speech yet? Yes, I actually have. Of course and you some have. of it is going to involve uh, a team that we're all familiar with that plays <laughs> underdog. But some of it is about it. But my message is about hope because I'm tired of anger. I'm tired of negativity. I'm tired of people come on and scream at each other. My message is a message of hope. And it's a hope that I found when I was living in my car with a gun and a bottle of Jack Daniels and I came back. It's like a country hey. song. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, um, congratulations on the interviews. Um, Really incredible gets, and we look forward to your show tonight. I, I got I got to go, but just because we had this kind of sell-off today, back to, uh, after yesterday's sell-off, what's on your mind tonight? What should viewers expect to hear about the market tonight? Well, look, I think that a lot of people are going to say to themselves, you know what? Uh, February's done. Let's put it to bed. We're starting to get oversold. Uh, the earnings are going to be good. But you know what? We are in this 2.8, 2.9 hell, and I think we got to go back to what Buffett said. I don't know what was it was a couple of months ago. No, Monday. Then maybe we should stop reassessing every 30 seconds and get into the apples when they come down and get in. Oh, by the way, all-time high. Day. Get into the Boeing's. Get into the Salesforce. You know, think maybe a guy at TJX. Actually, I couldn't believe how well that did. But what we're missing is we're missing conviction. I like to have conviction, and I think you can have it with some stocks. And they, let's start with Salesforce. Let's talk about Apple. How about that Boeing? There's some real, real conviction going on at these places. And then let's forget, that, that at our own pearl, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, congrats again, pal, on, uh, on these interviews. Can't wait for the show tonight. Right, 25 bud. minutes away. Um, folks certainly are going to be tuning in to see that, along with your analysis on what's been taking place in the market over the last 24, 48 hours. Again, Mad Money tonight, Mark Benioff, Kevin Plank, 6 p.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Let's trade Under Armour. Tim. Well, you know, Kevin Plank, as has just been talked about, is a passionate, committed, determined entrepreneur who's done great things at that company. Uh, I, I think the other issues are, though, he's turned over the management team or they've turned themselves over. I think this takes some time. Um, inventory to sales fourth quarter was 22%. So inventory builds a problem. I think margins have some pressure in the second half of the year. The company may be valuation. fine, but, but, but the valuation is, is not easy here. OK, and, and the category supposedly was was having a tough time, too. Although look at Nike's move from 54 to 68. Um, I don't need to buy the stock here. Yeah. Yeah. Care. I mean, we've seen a lot of turnarounds before and you get a chance to buy them. You know, it's never they turn on a dime and that was it. You get a chance. If we look at something like Michael Kors, they turned around. You had a few chances to buy here. I feel like a couple of innings of the turnaround are already priced in. Nine but to haven't 16. yet happened. What? Nine bucks to 16. That's Not, a big move. Yeah. Yes. That's well, a what? It's done, it's done 30 percent in three months. Something like that. So it's been it's been a run. Yeah. yeah but, I, but I think that tells you when it, when it, if it does come down again. Right. You don't get you don't bet against Kevin Plank. That's the point. Yeah. All right, still ahead, tech the one bright spot in the market this month, soaring from the February lows. And one top technician says a trillion-dollar trifecta could take the space even higher. He's going to give us the names he says are about to see an even bigger breakout. Plus, our very own Brian Kelly, like you've never seen him before, mapping out the crypto universe, we promise, after 
you see this, you won't look at Bitcoin or wow. Brian. Same again. <laughs> Much more fast money right after look the break. All right, welcome back to Fast Money on a day when the Dow fell nearly 400 points. But you know what held up well? Teflon Tech. Nothing Sticks. can seemingly so keep horrible. that mega cap tech stocks down uh, for very long since their February lows. Apple, Amazon rallying nearly 20% with Microsoft and Google also up more than 10%. Those four names adding more than $400 billion in market cap over that time. As Apple looks to become the first trillion dollar stock, our next guest says there are two other big tech names that could give Apple a serious run for its money. Let's go off the charts now with Jeff DeGraff of Renaissance Macro Research. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? So uh, a couple things to stand out. First, Apple, um, you know, very close to making an all-time high. I think it did intraday. Um, what we're very, very interested in with this name is this right here, is the relative performance. We want to see a new relative performance high. We need to get through that number. But all things considered, the trends are still in place. It still looks very, very good. Uh, I think the stock breaks out. I think the relative will confirm. But if we can't get the relative to keep up with the absolute price, I'll get more cautious. For now, things are fine. There we go. So Microsoft, Microsoft is the next one. Microsoft has the, um, the relative strength confirmation, which is very good news. The trend is actually stronger in Microsoft than what we have uh, in Apple. Uh, I think it's a little quieter, which is interesting. In other words, people aren't as hyped up about, uh, about Microsoft. It's obviously M doesn't work in FANG, um, but I like it a lot. It's another consolidation very close to a new high. Uh, I think we're right at the verge of that, uh, that, that uh, getting through. Uh, Google, Google's a little trickier. So the things that are, are problematic for Google, I'm still bullish on it because the trends are good. Uh, again, we've got this relative strength divergence, which we have to watch for. But look at this gap right here. We need to get this through the gap. Uh, gaps are natural uh, areas of resistance. I want to get through that gap. I want to see the relative strength confirm. Uh, if we can do that, I think they're, all three are in very, very good shape. But the relative performance from this point forward will be key. The one thing I would say is tech off the lows have the highest percentage of relative strength new highs of any sector, so it still is leadership. BK? Hey, so I'm curious about this relative strength. I think it's a very interesting point. How, how much does that feed into, okay, is this going to be a double top? Because all three of these look to me like they want a double top. Well, yeah, that's that's a fair point. You have to be careful with that. I mean, it's it's easy to uh, to get yourself through and, and sort of project double tops. So for us, relative performance really is the 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 the, the distinguisher. Um, and usually, uh, that relative performance is trailing off for a substantial period of time uh, before those double tops actually become a problem. In other words, the first top usually has a relative divergence. The second the second top is just more extreme in that relative performance, and we're not seeing that with any of those yet. Gotcha. Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Jeff DeGraff joining us. Are you back in your bear suit now and now on tech no, or what? No, listen, I just, we know not, not necessarily, but I, it, we're, at, we're at the market <laughs> highs again. So I don't want people to make the same mistake that people make all does. the time, which is buying high and selling low. When things are low, you buy them. When <laughs> things are high, you sell them off. BK That's brings it. up a cogent point in terms of double. T For example, Microsoft, which I think everybody's been bullish on at one time or another, traded up to $96 at sort of in January, came off, traded back again. Now you have to ask yourself, to BK's double tops, would you rather buy Microsoft here and flip a coin or on a breakout above 96? I'm with BK on this one. You know what? There are, there are some double tops here that you have to be respectful of. And I don't think that means he's wearing his bear suit. He's wearing a lovely suit. No, but it does zip <laughs> up in the back. 
I didn't really use that twice. All right. Yeah. 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 We'll have to discuss that. Twice too many because I was bad the first time. Say it if I can. Look, I think when it comes to Apple, and by the way, good job, Guy Adami. We, we had a CNBC special, I believe, Apple's trading at 156. You're talking about which companies actually are worth buying in this environment. Good balance sheets. They've got a lot of cash. Apple. All right. Coming up, Brian Kelly, like you've never seen him before. He's mapping out the crypto universe and taking your tweets in just a few moments. You're watching Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's one and only Times Square. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this short break. Welcome back to Fast Money. When we're mapping out the market, we break things down into sectors and industry groups. For example, in the S&P, there are 11 sectors, 24 industry groups. But did you know the same can be said for cryptocurrencies? It's true. And BK has broken down the crypto universe in a way that's never been done before. Check it out. Bitcoin. What is it? And why is it so popular? And why the heck are the kids so into it? To understand those questions, you must look beyond the Bitcoin and to the broader crypto universe. You see, Bitcoin is just the biggest of literally a thousand cryptocurrencies. It's a world unto itself and its own market. And just like the stock market, it has its own organizational structure. So let's free our minds and map the crypto universe together. Much like the stock market, the crypto universe can be broken into three categories. Large cap, mid cap, and small cap coins. The biggest and most widely owned cryptos are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Think of them as your blue chip Dow stocks like IBM and Boeing. Typically, these large cap currencies are about above 10 billion in market cap and they trade around 500 million to 5 billion per day. Next, there are mid cap and small cap cryptos. And much like the stock market, these coins comprise the vast majority of cryptos. Mid cap coins range in value from 1 billion to 10 billion in market cap, and small cap coins are generally below 1 billion, and they represent some promising projects and others that probably shouldn't be touched. Now, it's not just the size of the coin, but how you use it. And therein lies a key distinction for crypto. Coins have uses. Some like Bitcoin are used for payment. Others like Saya and MadeSafe are used for storage. Now there are 12 categories for crypto. Payment privacy and storage, smart contract platforms, lending and exchanges, specialty payments, interoperability, industrials, internet of things, gaming, securities tokens, and services. Now that you know the crypto universe, you'll be free to begin trading. Good luck out there. All right, BK, good stuff. So how should you apply all this to, to create a portfolio? Yeah, well, thanks, Scott. So you, when you look at your portfolio, like I said, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies out there. So let's break it down and look at the way that I kind of look at the a portfolio now. Let's say you have $10,000, you want to invest in this asset class. So this is how I'm looking at it. So I want to have 30% in the currencies. That's where I talked about the bigger names, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are your large cap. The other, the other 30% I want to have in platforms, which includes Ethereum. And we'll go through all of these in a minute, but what's the, what the platforms are what's being built on, right? That's where the new apps are coming. Another 20% I want to have in the privacy coins, 10% in apps, 10% in exchanges. That's where all the money's being made right now. And 10% in what I'm calling hybrids here, which are coins that can be used as a currency and a platform. So let's break it down and check out what the portfolio looks like when we go there. 
Okay, so here's our crypto portfolio. Here's the first three big sectors. Currency. You want to have Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. Those are all going after the big use case of global monetary use. In your platform area, the way I would spread them out, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, EOS and NEO. On all of these platforms, new things are being developed. Thousands of people are building on top of it. And then the privacy sector. There's really three you want to be involved in, Zcash, Monero, and Dash. Those ones are going to be used not just for things you don't want people to see, but maybe if you don't want to, uh, if you're a big company and you don't want to show that things are moving around the world. Now let's look at the second part of your portfolio here. Okay, when I look at apps, I want to look at things that are solving real-world problems. So in here, the Storm app, that one I love. I'm a, uh, a holder in that one. Metal, solving a real-world problem out there. And Salt is in lending. That's very interesting as well. Here's the exchanges I mentioned. Uh, Binance is one. You can buy a coin in Binance. Zero X, you can buy a coin in. And Polymath is doing, they're like the investment bank. And so they're bringing all the deals to the exchanges. Finally, the hybrids that I talked about. I call those are Ripple and Stellar. And what's interesting about these is that not only can they just be used as a pure currency, but you can also build on top of them. So you want to be involved in those as well. Hey, right. Brian, yeah, of, of the 12 sectors, interoperability seems the most interesting to me. What sector in real life is using the most crypto? Uh, right now, the, the sector that's using the most is uh, most likely a supply chain. Uh, so IBM's doing some really good work uh, with Hyperledger within the supply chain. Very well, that, that's I was a quick. I was going to ask BK, if folks are home or terrified of crypto, as I am, by the way, are there, are there stocks? You just mentioned IBM, but Overstock is sold off. In other words, could you do a basket of uh, traded equities? Would Micron, not Micron, excuse me, AMD, NVIDIA, Overstock, IBM, do they fit Where? into that world? They certainly do. You get more enterprise exposure rather than pure coin exposure. But, yeah, you can absolutely put together a portfolio like that. Karen, you got quick? Uh, no, they just all seem to trade together, though. Do you think that we'll start to see differentiation in the stories? I, I do think so eventually. Yeah. As this uh, asset class matures, you will see dispersion among them. But I agree with you now. They all definitely have a, a high correlation. All right, BK, we do have a tweet for you. Uh, right. The first one today is from Adam, who asks, how much of your crypto portfolio should be held in cash or U.S. dollar wallet? Uh, well, thanks for the question, Adam. To me, if you're bullish, it should be 0%. I mean, you're taking a small portion of your overall portfolio, 1% to 5%, and putting it into this asset class. That's my view. So I wouldn't hold any cash necessarily uh, if you're bullish on this space. All right, another one. Uh, what's your opinion on the safest ways to store your cryptocurrency for the long term? Yeah, so cold storage. There's a couple options there. Zappo will do some of the bigger coins. Uh, Bitco has a great option. Or you can get a Trezor or a Ledger and do your own cold storage. But cold storage is the key here. All right, good stuff, BK. Thank you. Coming up, it's the one soaring retail stock that some traders say could tank when it reports earnings tomorrow. We're going to give you the name and tell you what has them so nervous right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Best Buy reports before the bell tomorrow, and the options market is implying some pretty big moves. For more, let's go to Mike Coe at the Plasma, play a little options action. Oh, yeah. Mr. Coe? Yeah, so it was very interesting. We saw more than four times the average daily options volume in Best Buy by about 3 o'clock today, and it's implying a move of about 9%. That's a lot for any stock, and also well above the average for Best Buy, which is normally fairly volatile, moving about 6%. Where we saw most of that activity early was the weekly 67 puts. 
It's right about here. They were spending about $1.07 for those. Almost 3,000 of those traded. And then late in the day, we actually saw a buy of about 4,065, 62 and a half put spreads. So that's going to put the stock right about here. And that actually is betting on a move that might be even more than 9%. But uh, most of the activity was making bets to the downside. I yeah. ask Mike a quick question because oh, we have do. a little bit of time. Put your trader cap on, though. Please if, in do. fact, those puts prove to be correct, understanding we have to see the quality of the earnings or lack thereof, would you be inclined to buy this stock on that dip, understanding that valuation is reasonable and there's a high short interest? Yeah, so that's actually a really good point. The short interest is something that very commonly will put a little bit of a floor in. If you get that kind of a move, you're likely to get some short covering. <laughs> Plus, the options premiums are so high. You might be interested in possibly selling some of those puts if we get down to that level. You're an options trader, right? I am. Yeah. So why, why do you say put your trader, put your trader hat First on? First of all, what were you snickering at? You laughed when he said it was a good question, as yeah. if I've never asked a good question before. <laughs> and by the way, First Scott, of all, for to Scott, be Scott, accurate, when can we see to shows be accurate, about all options? four of us were laughing. No, uh, me. <laughs> I, well, yes, four and me. When can we see a great show about options, By I'm curious. Fridays, 5.30. What, were they called something? Options Action. Starring um, Mike Coe. Reed, man. <laughs> and others. Mike could probably do some good options analysis in Weight Watchers. Sponsored by? <laughs> <laughs> All right, up, we do final trades. <laughs> We're doing final trades next. All right, time now for final trades as we go around the horn. Tim, you're up first. Yes, sir. Good Under Armour discussion, but Nike is the name for me. Stay long. Karen yes. Feinerman. Here's one I'm watching. Give it a couple more days to shake out. Lowe's, I think, is overdone to the downside. They got some good new directors. I think it's good. One more day or two to wait. Bear suit, Kelly. Yeah, not so much bear suit, but you dance with the one that brought you. <laughs> mm -hmm. You buy the Bitcoin here, BTC. Something Guy like Donnie. that. Dance with the girl you brought to the prom, Scott. You yeah. remember your prom, right? No, you don't. Let's go to break. But before we do, Micron MU trading well. All right. That does it for us. More fast tomorrow, 5 p.m. Do not miss Mad Money with Jim Cramer, Kevin Plank, Mark Benioff. It begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.